Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We're going to go back to Zechariah chapter 9. Same notes as last week. Uh, you got chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. Uh, the issue that we're looking at here, at least as I'm comparing this, is they've come back from captivity. It's being written in 518. And this chapter 9, verses 9 up through 14, or 17, many of those that could be fulfilled going all the way up to the days of the Maccabees and bringing the people back, getting things prepared for the first coming of the Lord. So we can see, he mentions the Greeks and some activities there that could be overlaid with that, but yet, within it, it seems to be a, a more broad picture looking further into eschatology, the end times, especially when it talks about it, and it says uh, in that day, using a, an eschatological phrase in the, towards the end of the chapter, that we're looking towards the end. And then we combine that with chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice, O greatly, O daughter of Zion. Uh, your, your king comes, you're riding on a donkey, which we know to have been fulfilled in Jesus' ministry in 30 A.D. when he rode into Jerusalem. So there's several f- factors in this as, as we compare it. And it, it could have, in a sense, a double meaning or overviewing history. Uh, so as we go through this again, we'll see that. But ultimately... It's going to be playing and speaking of the end times. Uh, and that's what we've got coming up here. Chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 are going to be talking about the Lord's return, coming back to save Jerusalem and, and Israel in the end. Uh, and several things are, are going to be presented in this, including uh, a, a, a false shepherd, the true shepherd, uh, a, a portrayal of the Antichrist that's coming up in some of these these next verses in chapter 10 and 11. So anyway, we're going to read through this again. Uh, and I think in chapter 9, verse 9, looking on the first page of the notes, uh, it talks about your king is coming riding on a donkey. Leading up to that point, I think chapter 9, verses 1 up through 8, uh, was Alexander, as we talked about, marching down uh, from the north through Gaza and then to Jerusalem. And on the horse, he goes in and worships in the temple. He rides in on a horse. But then this verse right here says, that's not your king, it's, he's going to come on a donkey. And that was then fulfilled by Jesus. So that kind of gives us a time frame, because we know that was Alexander coming, but then it jumps to the ministry of Jesus, where he's riding on a donkey. But then in verse 10, it talks about, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. All of that could take place, especially when it talks about your prisoners of hope being restored, because they've come back from captivity, but there's also going to be a return during the days of Nehemiah, they're still going to be coming back to Jerusalem. Uh, and so all these verses could be uh, talking about the, this time period, especially when it says, I'll stir up your sons, O Zion, against the sons of Greece, uh, which is 167, 160 B.C. of the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, so all that could be taking place in these verses, but yet there's something overlaying it so here we go again on the first page of the notes just going to read through this you got the three major players the jews which are the daughter of zion your king he or him talking about the the messiah the royal king and then yahweh who is speaking through this also rejoice O greatly daughter of zion shout aloud O daughter of jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt of the foal of a donkey and that would be again the messiah coming Chapter 9, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. Well, that could be Alexander turning back 
and, and, and in a sense worshiping in Jerusalem, blessing the Jews and going on to the east. Or it could be talking about, as we, I think we know, a, a future day where the Lord is going to cut off the enemies in Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. Well, that he is the Messiah. The same one that rode in on a donkey is now speaking peace to the nation, which now propels us into the future. The distant future is setting up the millennial reign. In fact, there's a reference to the millennial reign because of he will speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And again, that would be the reign of the Messiah over the earth from Jerusalem. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, uh, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Again, that's what takes place here in uh, 537. They come back from captivity. It continues. Uh, 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 fugitives from the uh, Babylonian exile are coming back. Uh, Nehemiah, they're still coming back. So that, that takes place in a sense here, leading up to Alexander and then the Maccabean Revolt. But this is talking ultimately about the distant future, especially when it talks about the blood of my covenant where God says, I will come back and get you. So this is talking about the Jews being brought back ultimately at the end. Uh, Return to your stronghold. And you can see, I uh, declare that I will restore you. That's Yahweh speaking. Chapter 9, verse 13, For I have bent Judah as my bow. Now again, here in the Maccabean Revolt, uh, Judah is going to be bent like a bow. Uh, to fight against the, uh, 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 the, 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 the Greeks. But here it's also, like I said, talking about the future. And now in, if it be in the tribulation before the return of the Lord, it's not just the Lord coming back to uh, the dispersed Jews. Uh, he's coming back to a group of people that are actually engaged in some kind of a battle in the future. And that's going to be detailed. I'm making a big deal about this because that's going to be portrayed throughout the book of Zechariah to the end. There's going to be battles that are being fought. So here we see, we know it takes place in 167, 160 with the Maccabean revolt as they've, they've been returned from captivity, but they're going to be dispersed again in 70 AD. And so there's a day in the future where Judah is going to be bent like a bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. And that again, Judah in the south, Ephraim in the north. That's the restored nation of Israel. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, Javan. That's a reference to Greece uh, throughout from the book of Genesis all the way up to this point. And that would take place, the Maccabean revolt. Or excuse me. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. There's the Javan is Greece. And that would be a reference to the Maccabean Revolt. I showed you some maps last week. But ultimately, it's, it projects into the future also. Uh, and, and weld you like a warrior's sword. So there's a battle, Maccabean Revolt, yes. But yet, if we continue this eschatologically, there's a battle coming where Judah is going to be engaged with the Greeks, Javan, uh, coming out of the Grecian area, it could even be Asia Minor, Turkey area, uh, coming down through Syria, just like the Greeks in the Maccabean Revolt came out of Syria, the Seleucid Empire. They'll be fighting. It may involve the Antichrist coming from that, that, that area, but now Judah is fighting them. But all of a sudden, it says here, this is where we're at, chapter 9, verse 14, then the Lord, then Yahweh will appear over them. And I do not want to make too big of a deal about this, uh, uh, in a wrong way unnecessarily but at the same time this the lord will appear he's not just 
coming and using Alexander, or he's not just coming through the Messiah like he's coming in riding a donkey. Uh, he's not just bending Judah like a bow. This is Yahweh will appear. Now, Yahweh marched from the north in chapter 9, verse 1. He's coming from the north, uh, going through Damascus and Tyre and Gaza. But we know that was Alexander, was the Lord was using Alexander. We know in chapter 9, verse 9, your, your, your king is coming to you riding on a donkey. That is the Messiah. So Yahweh's coming, but he's coming through the king, the Messiah. It, it, you know, Jesus is Yahweh, but he's, in the, he's become a man. Uh, and then in chapter 9, verse uh, 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 13, he's using Judah as his bow to fight the Greeks. But now in chapter 9, verse 14, the Lord will appear. And that's the word appear over them. It, it, the word means to see. You will see. He will be seen. The Lord is not using Alexander, Judah, or the Messiah. Yahweh is seen. Now, again, like I say, that's a theophany. That's what you had on Mount Sinai, a theophany. But we're not talking about Mount Sinai. We're talking about eschatology. We're talking about the end. Uh, is this the second coming? Is this the Lord returning to the earth? And again, we, I read, read some verses last week. We'll review that a little bit. It says, The Lord, Yahweh, will appear over them, and His arrow will go forth like lightning. There's the word lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet, not the angel sounding the trumpet. Yahweh will sound the trumpet. And those are two things in a battle. Uh, the arrow, shooting the first arrow, so let the emperor or the divine king, the warrior king, would shoot the arrow to begin the battle and then would sound the trumpet. And the trumpet call would be the beginning of the war. That would be a call to engage in battle. So that is the Lord is appearing, and when he appears, he's, there's two things. The shooting of the arrow, the sounding of the trumpet is engage in battle. And he's going to be coming uh, and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. And we'll talk about that. That's Teman. He's coming from the south. Uh, Zaphon, the north, that, that's where the enemy always come from. They come from, you know, if it be Assyria or Babylon or Alexander or the Seleucids, they came from the north. That's where Jerusalem is attacked from. The Lord always comes from the south. He came from Mount Sinai. It, it would be in the days of Deborah. I've got references. Here he's coming from the south. So the enemy comes from the north throughout biblical history. The Lord always comes from the south. And here it is, eschatologically. Uh, he's sounding the trumpet, shooting his arrow, and he's coming in the whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them. He's now protecting his people who have engaged in a battle. And he's not just... Uh, uh, you know, in the background, he's there, appear, he's appeared. If we let this be the second coming, he's now seen by everyone. And, they, and it goes on, they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. We'll talk about that. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine. What does that mean? And be full like a bowl. Uh, and that's drenched like the corners of the altar. That's the offering bowl of dumping out the blood. On that day, there's your eschatological phrase. I mean, you really, you, you, you can dance around it, but you have to face that phrase, on that day, that is eschatological. On that day, Yahweh, their God, the Jews' God, this is not talking about the church, this is talking about those that had the covenant with Yahweh, the reason he brought them back, the prisoners of hope, is he's brought them back, he is the Lord, their God, and he will save them. 
So in chapter 9, verse 14, he appears. 9, verse 15, he protects or shields them. 9, 16, he saves them. Appearing, protecting, saving. He'll save them as the flock of his people. For, okay, now they're his flock. He's gathered them together. And we're going to see this throughout the Old Testament, him gathering his people. For like the jewels of a crown. Now, again, we're, we're continuing, but we're switching the focus here. Once they've been regathered, the battle's been fought. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. Now that they've been restored, now that they've been protected, he's saved them. They're now like a jewel on a crown displaying for everyone to see. The people of Israel are a display for everyone to see. For how great is his goodness. We'll talk about this verse. And how great is his beauty. That could just as well be the pronoun could be their goodness and their beauty. I mean, that's in the Hebrew. It's not, you've got to choose. How great is his goodness. Yes, God's goodness is great. But also, how great is their goodness and their beauty because they've been protected they've been saved they've been put on a crown and the whole world is going to see them we're going to see this in isaiah 60 isaiah 62 especially the first five or six verses say exactly the same thing for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women and now we're into uh, agricultural imagery of a community going forth into the next generation uh, and that's what we see there. Now on the board, I've got this here. Here's the word appear. I'm going to review this from last week. We did this last week. The word parousia is in all of these words. These are your rapture words, your, es- uh, your eschatology words, your second coming words, the Lord returning. These are all used in the verses. We looked at them last week. We're going to review them quickly. But sometimes they're, f- they're rapture verses. Sometimes they're second coming verses. Uh, all of these parousia means coming or presence you know the presence of the lord or the coming of the lord epiphania it means appearance or appearing see appearing it's this is the hebrew word but here's the greek word for the same thing appearing or manifestation or brightness it is a word used in the greek of e- even in greek mythology Anytime a god would appear, like if, if you're going down the road and one of the gods flies out of the sky and lands and appears to you in the brightness and their glory to bring you a message, that would be an epiphania of, of the god. So it's, it's a Greek word from Greek mythology, Greek culture, that when they spoke Greek and wrote the Greek New Testament, there's going to be an epiphania of the Lord, where he's going to come in his brightness, he's going to appear and be manifest and be standing there in front of you. Now, that's already happened once. That word is used at his first coming. It was an epiphania of the Lord when he came the first time. But we know there's going to be, that's why he say, a second coming or a second epiphania where he's going to come a second time where he will be seen. Now, again, Jesus exists now, but he's not seen. Now, again, you know, Paul saw him. You could have, you know, Peter talk to him. You could have a vision, you know. But as far as being publicly epiphania, when he came the first time, he was there. It wasn't just Mary saw him once in a while. And every once in a while, you know, one of the priests saw him out of the backside of the temple or something. Jesus walked him. Everybody saw him. And that's, this is what we're referring to here. And then apocalypsis, which is unveiling, revealing, or revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus or the Lord. So go to, in your notes without doing this whole thing again from last week. We're on page 
um, say, 13, page 12 and 13, you can see uh, bottom of page 12, there's your word, appear. In the Hebrew, it's yaria, or yaria, uh, and you see it's up in there. I've got it circ- or in a square. It means to uh, see. And interestingly, it says, I've got in the Hebrew at the top of page 12, in the circle, there's your word, aliham. Again, that's me pronouncing it. It's probably, in, not probably, it, pro- it most likely is incorrect. But it means over them. Will be seen over them. He's going to appear over them it's going to he's going to be in the sky over them that's where his chariot moves in ezekiel's chariot moved there in david's time the, the when david heard the sound of the lord moving through the trees the wind and the balsam trees he was supposed to engage in battle so over them and will be seen the lord now turn the page 13 uh, there's your word perusia and i've got verses matthew written down there that first verse matthew the coming of the son of man that is the second coming First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty three, but each in his order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, will all be resurrected, and that is the word parousia. So is that the rapture? If it's the rapture, it's the same word used for the coming of the Son of Man. It's the same word. So I think Matthew's clearly the second coming. I think First Corinthians fifteen is the rapture. First uh, Thessalonians two nineteen. Uh, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? I mean, you'd think that's the rapture where the church is meeting him in the air. Our hope is the rapture of meeting him in the air. Or is it the second coming? Are they simultaneously events where things are happening at the same time? And can that be brought over right here? When he appears over them for this battle, the church is meeting him in the air. He's coming back for Israel. He's engaging in the, the 70th week. Uh, I'm just laying this out there for you. Uh, James uh, 5.8, that is uh, a great line, or that, that says the coming of our Lord is at hand. That's James saying. First John 2.28, I've got the, the Greek written there. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, that is the word phanero, which means uh, to make visible, to make clear. Uh, and then it says, we shall have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his parousia. So there's two words used right there, his, his uh, appearing and his parousia. Revelation 6, 12, uh, that, that's the, the sixth seal where the sun sky disappears and the Lord appears uh, in the sky and the whole world sees him. And they run and hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. He appears there. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. There you can see him coming uh, in battle. Epiphania, 2 Thessalonians, uh, seems to be talking about the second coming because it says this, uh, And when the lawless one will be revealed, or excuse me, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. That's Revelation 19 right above there when he comes on the white horse and captures the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now he comes and with the breath of his mouth destroys him and bring to nothing. That's not the rapture. That's the second coming. Uh, and that's Epiphania. But then you go to 1 Timothy 6.14, the same word, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, 
2 Timothy 1.10, there's your appearing of the, the first coming. For 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8, uh, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And then Titus 2, 13, everyone knows this is the rapture verse, chapter 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Now, that's the same word, the the, the, the glory is going to destroy the Antichrist, but the glory appearing is the hope of the church. And so you're kind of combining these, and they're all fitting up here with this appearing. And then, of course, Apocalypse, there was a rapture versus second coming verses. Uh, I, on point seven, on bottom of page 14, I, I begin a list right here uh, of three things. A, the word appear or the concept of appearing, being seen, a revelation a manifestation point b on page 15 over them in the air these are words out of zechariah 9 14 is he appears he is over them above them lightning is involved point c the trumpet is involved d marching some kind of military engagement of defeating an army and from the south and i've got listed there appearing all the, I don't have the references that they're all in the verses before, but as far as appearing, in, you see it in uh, Zechariah 9.14, but all of these things, uh, I've got them written there, the Lord himself, Jesus, Lord Jesus is revealed, the coming of the Son of Man, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man, they will see the Son of Man, gather his elect from the four winds, uh, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, he is coming, every eye will see him, all those are verses right here is this the same i'm just saying is this the same event as the new testament is using these words to say the same thing combining the rapture the second coming it's the end jesus is returning and the whole world is going to see him then over them well these are all the same references we've just read he'll descend from heaven to meet the lord in the air from heaven then will appear in heaven they will see the son of man coming on clouds of heaven they will see the son of man coming in clouds he is coming with the clouds who is seated on the throne which is above uh and goes on he was lifted up and he'll come back the same way left lightning coming in flames of fire as lightning comes the trumpet uh, the sound of the trumpet of God, that the last trumpet with the loud trumpet call. March, these are the re- reference we saw in the New Testament. Inflicting vengeance, tribes of the earth will mourn. All the tribes of the earth will wa- wail. The wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. Uh, and it says in Zechariah, he's coming from the south. And in Habakkuk 3.3, 3, God came from Teman, that means the word Teman means south, like Zaphon, Mount Zaphon means north. It's just, if it just says in the Bible, as we talked about earlier, it talks about Zaphon, that's the north. That can be translated Mount Zaphon or the north. And Teman can be translated Teman or the south. So God came from Teman, the south, the Holy One from Mount Paran, that's down south, Selah, his splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. And then uh, Isaiah 63, that's that famous verse. When Jesus clearly returns after defeating the nations, he's coming from Edom, from Basra, which is the south, which is Teman, robed in splendor, and he's defeated the enemies. Now, I'm not going to do this right now because I don't want to be, I'm not sure what's going on in your mind and what you're thinking. Uh, It's like, okay, that's enough. Stop, stop, stop. 
So I'm going to stop. I'm not sure if you're thinking that, or that's just me. But on page 16, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Revelation. I, I just wrote all those things out and underlined like, those references that match Zechariah 9.14. Like he, he, he's going to be seen. He's coming from above. Uh, a trumpet. Uh, the lightning. Those are all references there that sure seem to tie into the same event. Not that it's absolute, but it's like you, when you see a word like, then he will appear over them, well, that's a New Testament verse. He's going to appear in the sky over them, visually being seen. That's the rapture. That's the second coming. That's, that's the Lord returning. Uh, at least you've got to say, is it? Because it sure seems like it would be. Now, what's happening here is on the bottom of page 16, Yahweh, in Zach, going back to Zechariah, and the reason I put those verses there is because eventually we're going to be clearly be talking about eschatology verses. In fact, many things as far as eschatology in the New Testament come right out of Zechariah. And this could be you know, part of that collection of information. But in Zechariah, in this flow written in 518, maybe talking about the coming of you know, the Greeks and Alexander and the solution battles, but projecting into the future... Yahweh here is the divine warrior. He becomes, he, is, he sends his king, but also Yahweh is talking in the background, but eventually Yahweh appears. This is not the king appearing. This is not the Messiah appearing. Again, it is. It is Jesus. It is the king, but he's coming as Yahweh. He, he's, he's appearing as God is manifest in the earth. And that's, I'm not being contradictory. We're talking about the Trinity. Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. You know, God the Father is, is speaking. The Son is on the earth. But all of a sudden, Yahweh is going to appear. Well, guess what? When Yahweh appears, guess who that is? It's Jesus. And he's going to come back as the divine warrior. Uh, and these are places he appeared. There's Second Samuel, a couple verses. Uh, turn to page 17. There's a reference at the top of Ezekiel when he was in the chair, you know, the man sitting uh, with the cherubim. He's sitting on the, 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 the throne with the wheels, within the wheels. And you know that. Uh, that's the same thing there. Point nine, Yahweh is to blow the trumpet, which along with him shooting the first arrow may indicate the warrior king initiating the battle with the nations. And there's some references to trumpets you've got josh or yeah joshua at jericho you've got gideon you've got isaiah 18 uh talking about signaling with the trumpet uh so the the trumpet sound is initiating the battle potentially in this case point 10 the sequence of events to begin the battle are one the lord shoots the starting arrow the lord signals the beginning of the battle and the lord begins marching and advancing from the south yahweh does all those things in zachariah Yahweh appears, Yahweh shoots the arrow, Yahweh sounds the trumpet, and Yahweh begins to move from the south, moving up towards Jerusalem to meet the enemy who's coming from the north. And remember, Jezreel, the Valley of Armageddon, is to the north where the nations are going to gather. Chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord of hosts will protect them. Now, we've had his appearing right here, and now what he's going to do is he's going to now protect them remember he's bent judah like a bow judah has engaged in battle and in the midst of the battle now yahweh is going to appear and will come down 
and protect them. He'll be running defense while Judah is on the offense. The Lord of hosts will protect them. And again, notice I've got them highlighted in bold. Who is them? Them is Jerusalem or Israel, the Jews. The Lord Yahweh of hosts will protect the Jews. They, the Jews, shall devour and tread down the sling stones. They, the Jews, shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine. That means boisterous with victory. It doesn't mean they're drunk. It means they're boisterous like a drunken crowd. They're boisterous, loud, because of their continuous, overwhelming victory over the nations. And be full like a bowl. And I'm turning the page now. And there you've got the Hebrew written there at the top of the page. Uh, Point one, if 9.14, it says, begins the battle. You know, the Lord sounding the trumpet, shooting the arrow. Then 9.15 identifies the divine warrior and the results of that battle that he started. 9.14, he begins the battle. What happens? Well, 9.15 tells you what happens. Interesting there, again, it's worth pointing out. A Yahweh Shabbat, that's what is in the text there. You can see the very, look at the Hebrew at the top of the page, looking to the right where it says 15. It says Yahweh of hosts or Yahweh Shabbat. And you can see that right there. It means, uh, it, it's from the word T-S-A-B-A, which means army. It means host. It means a military. It is a group prepared for war. It's warfare. Uh, So Yahweh of the hosts, Yahweh of the military, Yahweh of those that are coming and marching for war. And this is not Judah. I mean, again, you can argue with not, yeah, argue you can if you want to, but you can disagree with me at any point. But Yahweh is appearing. He's already got troops on the ground, Israel, Judah, Ephraim, they're down there fighting. He appears over them with the army. With those that are the hosts, the warfare, these are, of course, these are the angels. The angelic hosts are coming to engage or support him in battle. So that's what it says, Yahweh Shabbat, that means he is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the army that is appearing with him. Um, Point three, the activities described as the battle begins are, A, Yahweh Shabbat, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angelic armies, will defend his people, Israel on the ground uh, as as they engage in the physical battle will shield or will defend is the word that he says will protect them Uh, it means to cover it means to surround it means to defend it's the same verb used by Isaiah when he was telling Hezekiah that the Lord will defend Jerusalem from Sennacherib the Assyrian and so it's pretty clear what is being said there. He's going to come and shield them, and the enemy will not have a chance. Then because he's shielding them, Yahweh's people will devour and subdue the sling stones. So if we go back, I'm going to go back to page 17. Uh, The bottom of the page, in the English Standard Version, 915, the Lord of hosts will protect them, and while they're being protected by him, they shall devour and tread down the sling stones so again we'll look at this a little bit uh the sling stones uh the english or the niv presents it at that they're throwing the sling stones they're going to devour with the sling stones 
the Hebrew it appears and the English standard translated the sling stones are being thrown at them. So they're, they're on defense being attacked. Again, and you get, right here, I've got it written down there. Devour simply means to eat. They are eating, devouring the sling stones. And the idea here is like you drink wine and become boisterous because you had too much wine. They're eating, devouring these sling stones. And it, it's a metaphor. It's an imagery. It's not like they're eating stones. But they're, they're, being, they're protecting themselves from these stones that no matter what the enemy throws at them, they absorb it and keep going. And the victory, is instead of drinking wine, they're drinking victory. They just keep winning and winning and winning. And it's like they're, they're totally confident because nothing can stop them. Nothing can defeat them. Uh, devour and subdue. Okay, uh, point B. Uh, it, it could be, uh, there's two ways on the bottom of page 18. Judah, Ephraim, and the sons of Zion will eat the sling stones instead of being destroyed by the sling stones. Or you could translate it in the idea that Judah, Ephraim, and the sons of Zion will eat their opponents with sling stones. So they're attacking with sling stones. So yeah, that would work that way too. It seems to make more sense that they're eating, devouring the sling stones that are coming at them. Turn the page. Top of page 19, the people of God will devour the attacks of the nations unharmed, leaving the nations defenseless. Or the people of God will devour the nations by using sling stones, leaving the nations defeated. And so I, I, I think the nations are coming at Jerusalem and they cannot, well, there's other verses, it's a stone that cannot be moved. You cannot move Jerusalem and you're just going to be you're going to be defeated by attacking Jerusalem instead of the Jews going out into the nations defeating the nations. The nations have come to Jerusalem and they are defeated there, not the Jews going door to door through the nations. If that makes sense. Um, and point C supports what I was saying, uh, but this is a defensive battle since the Lord is going out to protect, defend, or shield them. So most likely, the correct understanding is the people of God will eat or devour the sling stones. It's a defensive a battle. Uh, subdue which means to bring to bondage or subdue uh the sons of zion ephraim judah will subdue and bring into bondage the sling stones of the greeks so they're devouring and subduing the sling stones of the greeks the sons of of, of uh sons of greece uh i've got here just just because i did it i've got on page 21 some pictures of sling stones uh first of all you can see i'm, I'm holding one now that's a real sling stone that i'm holding in my hand there uh, that was picked up in Jordan at what is most likely uh, the excavated uh, 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 Sodom. Uh, they're excavating down through the layers, down, they're down to the layer of the, the destruction of Sodom. And that stone is found there. It was found out of place, meaning it had rolled out of place. Or it was, it was, there's a sling stone, but it wasn't the right level. And so it was, scientifically, it was useless. So it was allowed to come back with the excavation team. They didn't need to put it into the scientific uh, uh, collection. Then there's me holding it up to my head. You can see how big it is. You see right there. Also, the bottom right picture, interestingly, there's a flat side. See the flat side? That's because the slingers would have, like if they're defending the city, they'd have them sitting on the wall. If they all had these little balls, they'd all be rolling all over. There'd always be a flat side. So they would sit them there and pick them up and, and sling them. Uh, the picture on the middle left, that's a picture I took in the British Museum. Those are sling stones that were picked up at Lachish. 
those were thrown by the Assyrians uh, at Lachish right before uh, Sennacherib sent his people uh, to go talk to Hezekiah at Jerusalem because they're going to go to Jerusalem and destroy Jerusalem next. And that's where God says, I'll defend Jerusalem. These sling stones will not be thrown in Jerusalem in Hezekiah's day because of the story you know what takes place. But those were thrown and excavated at Lachish by the gate. And then from the palace of Nineveh, of Sennacherib's palace, there's a whole wall, a wall that goes this side, the back, and this side of the, th- of the throne room, as you approach the throne room, uh, of that battle of Lachish. It was carved in gypsum stone for Sennacherib when he came back from the battle of Lachish after he was defeated by the angel of the Lord. And there is carvings there of the slingers wearing the, uh, the pointed Assyrian helmets. And you can see the two pictures of the slingers. And I've got a close-up of the sling stones. Uh, and those that, in a sense, that's the best you're going to get of a photo, an action photo of the sling stones being thrown in 701 B.C. And then we're going to go pick those stones up and put them in the British Museum. So that's, a, that's basically a photograph of those stones in the British Museum being thrown that was in the Nineveh. Uh, palace. So anyway, those are sling stones, and that, that's, yeah, I just point out because they're saying sling stones there. Okay, uh, point two on page, go back to page 19, drink and roar as if with wine. That basically is saying they are winning the battle, the Jews are winning the battle defensively, nothing can rock them, they're being attacked with the best the nations have, and they're just absorbing it, they're, they're taking it, and they're like celebrating they're enjoying the victory uh and here's some references deuteronomy i will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh so there's that ideal of eating and drinking in battle uh the imagery uh the sword jeremiah 46 the sword shall devour uh and be sated and drink its fill with of their blood and you can see other examples there now point three uh, the result of this eating and drinking is a roar. It's hama, which means to murmur, to growl, to roar, to be boisterous. And it refers to loud sounds of animals such as bears, dogs. Uh, Proverbs 21 uses the same word. Wine is a mocker and strong drink, a, a, a brawler or hama. It's loud and boisterous. This is the image of not drunkenness, but it's the image of great exuberance because of the victory. So they're, they're, they're not just happy. They're not just joyful. They're like boisterous party mode. We are crushing the enemy or the enemy can't crush us. Nothing can touch us. And they're just ecstatic like you can imagine troops would be. Uh, and that's what's happening in Zechariah 9 when the Lord appears over them and they begin to devour the sling stones they become boisterous. And the next line, along with that, and be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of an altar. So here is a basin. Okay, that's a bowl, all right? And here's the, the altar. There'd be a horn on the altar and a horn on an altar. All four corners would have a, a horn on the four, altar, four corners of the altar there. There's a horn back here. And they have a bowl of the sacrificial blood that would be full how do you put blood? It'd be lower the surface, full of blood, you know, carrying it. And then they pour it on the altar, on the horn of the altar. So this would be covered with blood. This would be dripping with blood. The bowl's covered with blood. It's like they are now 
be filled with blood like basins, like the corner of an altar. There's so much defeat, so much victory. The, the, the blood is everywhere because of the victory they're winning. And that is, that's, that's the idea. And you can see there's more details of it. Point two on, the, on page 20 under point three, uh, three, two. Uh, the fullness of the victory of the people of God over the enemy while being shielded by the Lord is as full as a sacrificial basin of blood, as complete as the horns of the altar are covered in blood, as intense as the boisterous roaring after, a, after drinking wine, like not just a glass of wine, but a drinking party, as satisfying as eating and drinking at a celebration. That is what Zechariah is using to describe when the Lord appears over Judah. That's the result. It's like a full-fledged victory. Okay, turn the page. And this is, I believe, an eschatological victory. Ah, 167 to 160, the Maccabean Revolt, got a taste of that. It was a, a portrayal of it, but it wasn't eschatological. The Lord did appear to fight with them. They had tremendous, ridiculous, outnumbered success. It, it was impossible for what they did, but the Lord, in a sense, didn't really appear over them and, and, and visually be seen. The next thing, after uh, appearing and protecting them in 915, he now, chapter 9, verse 16, saves them. And this is, again, going to be a theme throughout uh, even Paul refers to, in that day, all Israel will be saved. You can see Israel being marked with 144,000. How that ties together is that part of 916. But now the word saves is the word uh, for deliver. I mean, it, it appears to be more than just delivering them physically, but also a salvation. Here it is, chapter 9, verse 16. On that day, Yahweh, their God, once again, the covenant God, Yahweh, the covenant God, which I believe now is the Lord has returned. He has appeared. It's now fully Jesus Christ. This same book, Zechariah, is going to say they're going to, when they see him, they're going to mourn for him as they, when they see him, they'll see the one they pierced. When they see the Lord, Yahweh, they see it's Jesus, the one they pierced. Just like Paul on the road to Damascus, the Lord appears. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And he tells him, I, I'm Jesus. It's like, oh my gosh. I know it's Yahweh, but who are you? I'm Jesus. It's like, and whole, Paul's whole theology had to be like readjusted. And the same thing is going to happen when they see Jesus, when he appears at the, the second coming or at the at, at, at Revelation chapter 6, when he appears in the atmosphere, the sign of the Son of Man, Israel's going to see the one they pierced. It's Yahweh. We pierced Yahweh. We crucified Yahweh. Their God. But he will appear and will save them as the flock of his people. Again, the covenant people. This is not the church, you see. I mean, you can make application, uh, but this is Yahweh the God of the Mosaic Covenant appearing to save Israel, his people, the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. And that's, that's, that's important. We're going to try to develop that a little bit. Okay. Uh, one, two, and three are written right here. Yahweh appears, protects, saves. That's point one, two, and three. Uh, will save them in the is the first in the Hebrew sentence. So you can look up there. Uh, chapter the hebrew at the top of page 22 the very first thing in the hebrew sentence is and will save them yahweh making save them the emphatic part he will save them yahweh 
So it becomes emphatic. Save them will Yahweh. The, the literal way of reading that is right there. I've got it in point four. Save them will Yahweh. Save is Yasha. And you can see the words like Yeshua or Joshua, where we get the word Jesus from, uh, is, is from that word save, salvation. It means to deliver. It can mean to liberate, to save, to place in freedom, to be saved in battle, victorious. So he has saved them in battle. But we can see other places where in, in Zechariah, at this point, or somewhere in these events, a fountain is going to be open. They're going to mourn when they see who it is, and a fountain is going to be opened up, and they're going to be cleansed of their sin because they've now come to Christ. They've come to their Messiah. So all this is fitting together I believe somehow. At least we're looking at it, and we're going to continue to go through this, and you're going to have all these pieces. Um, point five, Yahweh their God, their God speaks of in covenant terms. Notice the sequence, point five C, save them, Yahweh will. He is their God because he made a covenant with them, so Yahweh saved them because of the covenant. And then on that day, they are his flock of the people. Uh, they will now be the jewels on a crown lifted like a banner over his head. Now here comes the ideal of crown. We're going to have diadem. We're also going to have uh, a, a turban. Different words. And these are all going to be very, very similar. And we're, we're going to develop that. Point six, the phrase on that day is, is in there. It's clearly eschatological. Point six B, even all the potential even with all the potential the returning exiles had in 518, from 538 coming down to 518, all this potential, and they're coming back, they're building the temple, Nehemiah's going to come build the walls, all this, there's still going to be another dispersion that they're going to have to be brought back from and be delivered. Um, turn to page 23. Point C at the top, on that day, is looking at the final return uh, uh, from exile, the final regathering, and the return of the Lord. On that day is an indicator of the future time when Yahweh has promised to act for the benefit of Zion, just as described in chapter 9, verses 9 through 15. So again, with that, that word right there, that really helps. Uh, we can, you can think about this time period here, but on that day is really an eschatological phrase of the final victory, the final event. Uh, chapter point seven on page 23 at this point the images of chapter nine switch from kings and military to community and agricultural you can see the switch right there uh they'll shine like jewels of his crown they shall shine on his land and then the very next line i'm going to turn the page here uh, page 24 for how great is his goodness or their goodness and how great his beauty or their beauty depending on the pronoun Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. So right here, this is a switch. The battle's been won. And again, you've got to imagine the battle is longer than one verse because we're going to, have, we're going to go back and talk about this battle or the battles later on in Zechariah. But it's kind of like a summary. He's going to appear. He's going to protect. And then he's going to save. And once they're saved, they're going to have this agricultural, this community, this blessing, this kingdom of peace that's already been talked about in chapter 9. Now, talking about the jewels, which is another word, is, it's, it's the word stone, 
and this is going to be a word play because they just got done devouring the sling stones and then you go a verse later now they become stones on a crown but they're not sling stones these are now jewel stones uh and you can see right there point eight jewels is abne from ebna which means a stone it doesn't mean a jewel stone it means a stone which could be a sling stone it could be a, a jewel stone but it's a stone and then in the context if you're slinging it and you're being destroyed by it it's probably not a diamond it's probably a sling stone but if you're putting it on a crown for everybody to look at for display it's probably not a sling stone it's probably a jewel stone you understand the concept and that's point B, a word play. Stones of a sling is a 9.15. Stones of a crown is 9.16. Um, God's people will be, there's the, the, the Hebrew word, mit no soul warts. Again, not even close. But it means lifted up like a banner. And it, it does mean lifted up like a banner. Or in this case, lifted up like stones on a crown. Lifted up on a king's head. But you're going to see right here, they're, they're lifted up as stones in the land. So they're a display, they're a demonstration. The people of Israel that God protected, that God saved, are now an example. They're a banner for everyone to look at. They're a stone for everyone to see. And what this is saying, there's no doubt about this. I mean, this is straight up throughout eschatology. When God does that for Israel, and they're displayed like, oh my gosh, all the nations will see what God has done for Israel and they'll forsake all their gods, all their, their, their pagan ways and go, we, we, that's what we've been looking for. And so God, again, there'll be a, a, a blessing to the nations. Again, their defeat and now their restoration is going to be a demonstration for the nations, which you're going to see throughout the prophets. When Israel is saved and God brings them to glory, it's not only the, them that are going to have peace, the whole world is going to have peace and flock to Jerusalem to have, we want to know what the Jews know. We want to have the relationship with Yahweh that the Jews have. And that's, that's, what, this is, that's what the Jews are for. They're a signpost for the nation. This is what Yahweh can do. And he will do it for you. The, the, that's the church. I mean, the church is, a, this is Yahweh. Yahweh is Israel's God. And he came to save Israel, but he also came to save the Gentiles. Do you want some of this? And it's like, when we see it, it's like the Gentiles, like, yes, we do. Yes, we want some of that salvation also. Now, the Jews rejected it, you know, as a nation, but it went to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles now are coming in. Eventually, the Jews are going to take it. That's where you get those sayings, the first will be last, the last will be first. God came to save the Jews first. They rejected him. Okay, I'll go get the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles come in, and now, oh, Jews, are you ready for it finally? Finally, the Jews will be ready for it. Okay, that's kind of what's taking place here. Uh, point six or eight c one the saved people of god are to be displayed point next point the saved people of god are like jewels displayed on a public publicly on a crown the saved people of god will be displayed like a banner there's a uh, psalm 64 you have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it uh, from the bow uh, there's references banners like flags that are used for proclaiming defeat of the enemy gathering exiles from the nations and calling troops to assemble for for war most likely the best connection to bright jewels a crown and banner or a flag from the old testament is isaiah 62 i'm going to turn to uh well, i'm going to go to isaiah 62 in the niv you've got it there in the english standard version at the bottom of that page but i'm going to go read this and 
And uh, with everything we've just said, listen to Isaiah 62 and get ready for where Isaiah 63 goes. And you, you already may know what takes place right at the beginning of Isaiah 63. But here you go. Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Now, this is not something Israel's going to do. It's something they're going to have to believe God, turn to God to receive. You know, so it's not like he's going to build their character until they become righteous. They're going to have to eventually humble themselves and turn to God and, and cry out for mercy. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. Think about the crowns or the jewels on the crown. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Notice the word crown and diadem. Those are two different words. Diadem is a royal crown. Uh, 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 a crown of splendor would be something like the Greeks had the Stephanos. The word is Stephanos. It'd be the victor's crown. One is royalty. It's, it's just your, your inheritance. It's who you are. The other would be something you performed for. Uh, no longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. You know, like Israel's deserted, Israel's desolate. But you will be called uh, Hephizbah, which uh, again, I'm looking down here at the footnote, means my delight. And your land, Beulah, which means uh, married. And again, the English Standard does a better job of that. We'll kind of come back and read this. Uh, For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man, remember how that verse ended? Young men and young women in Zechariah. As a young man marries a maiden, so will you, your sons, marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. Now that's, that's going to be the end. That's how it ends, that kind of you know, relationship. But now, in verse 6, Until then, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. That's going to be in the future. But until then, you guys get people in Jerusalem that keep crying out to God until he does what he promised he's going to do. And that goes through like that. Verse 8, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food. There's your agriculture. Give your food to your enemies. And talks about all the things he's going to do. Verse 12, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. Chapter 63. Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with garments stained crimson? Coming from the south. Who is this? Who is this robed in splendor, glory? Again, that would be brightness manifested. That could be from the appearing. I'm just saying that could be a connection because you can see it. Jesus came the first time and you couldn't see his splendor. It wasn't there. This time it will appear. Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? 
The answer, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. And see right there, save? It is I, coming back to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading a wine press? He's coming back to save Israel. Why? But your garments, they're all red. Well, I've trodden the wine press alone. From the nations, no one was with me. None of the nations, none of the Gentile nations wanted to side with me. So I had to trample them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Now remember the word wrath, the wrath of God, comes in the, the, the trumpets and the bowls of Revelation. Hide us from him who sits on the front throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is his wrath has trampled the nations. That's exactly what they were terrified of. Their blood, little graphic for the children in the Sunday school stories, their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. I've been working. I've been out fighting. And I'm covered in blood. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. The Prince of Peace. Establishing peace. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And the year of my redemption has come. I looked but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me. And my own wrath sustained me. I did two things. I worked out salvation and I took care of the wrath. It's all done. You're saved or you're destroyed. Let's enter the kingdom. And that is coming. He's coming from the south. Uh, and then chapter 63, verse 7. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. Now that word kindness is a nice translation. Uh, sometimes it's the word love translated. It's the word hasid. It means covenant love. It means commitment to the covenant. He will be kind to you because he promised he would be kind to you. He's going to show you salvation and love because I made a covenant of blood that I will do this. You can count on it. So I will tell of your covenant faithfulness of the Lord, of Yahweh. He made a covenant and he did exactly what he said. That, that's not some pastoral kindness. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. He's just so kind. No, no. He made a promise, I will destroy you if you rebel against me, and I will save you, but sign your name right here. We're entering into covenant, and I will always come back and get you. And again, that, that's what's going on there. That's Isaiah 62. You can read it there on the bottom of page 23. Turn the page, and we are almost done with this section. I just now spend some time with the word crown. Uh, there'll be a, a stone on the crown, and here's three different points. Crown is nezer, meaning consecration or crown uh here the emphasis on the crown is a sign of consecration you will be a a stone on the crown you'll be consecrated set apart for us uh, for myself uh, a, a king wore a crown a high priest wore a crown here in zechariah 9 16 the people are jewels in the nezer which is a crown of consecration being set apart for a purpose their crown is setting there and it's for everybody to see this is what yahweh will do for you and when everybody sees that, it's like, that is what we, that kind of faithfulness, that kind of covenant faithfulness we can have, join the covenant of salvation. Uh, then there's a crown, a tear means a crown or wreath. And that's in Zechariah 6. We talked about that earlier. There's also in Isaiah 62, the people of God are referred to as a crown, a tear, and a royal diadem or a royal turban. And that's those words we just read. So there's three different words of crown being used there, kind of dancing around that same subject. 
I'm not going to develop any further because the clock is ticking. All this together clearly means the people of God are set apart for a purpose or consecrated and may have direct connections to their royalty and priesthood of the King of the Messiah. And then chapter 9, verse 17, For how great is His goodness and how great is His beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. And uh, look at point two. Okay, a point one four, or the word chi in 9.17 means... And for another reason God saves, or yeah, another reason for, why did he save his people? For great is his goodness. Why did he save his people? For great is his beauty. That's why. That's his character. That's what he does. He's faithful to the covenant because he's, he's good and he's beautiful. Now, that's point one. But point two, I point out, there is a question as to what pronoun. Everybody's confused about pronouns, even chapter 9, verse 17 is attached to goodness and beauty. The English standard, the King James, the NRSV, the pronoun is his, referring to Yahweh. For how great is his goodness and his mercy, or excuse me, beauty. The NIV, the pronoun is they. They, referring to the jewels, meaning because we're talking about the jewels, how beautiful are those jewels that are on that crown. Or the jewels are on the crown because of his goodness. And then the new, new King James and RSV, the pronoun is its. Its goodness. So now you've got the land, the goodness of the land, uh, or the goodness of some object. But it's it, it most likely, well, here it is. Uh, some say the Messiah is being praised here. Point four, the identification of the Hebrew pronoun most often occurs in the context immediately p- before, which means the pronouns are referring back to the jewels or the people of God. Because the jewels are being focused on the crown. How beautiful is their goodness? How beautiful is, or how good is their beauty? How does it say it? Uh, how great is their goodness and how great is their beauty? So it's either the Lord is good or the people are good because of the Lord, uh, if you understand what I'm saying right there. And then we go to the agriculture. Grain shall make the young men flourish. Very similar to what we saw in Isaiah 62. New wine, the young women. And now we're going on into the millennial kingdom. Uh, I've got some more things written down right there. And when we start chapter 10 tomorrow, or next time, uh, we'll probably begin with that verse because chapter 10 starts right away, continuing with the ideal of the production and the manifestation of the kingdom. And then we get into some other eschatological things that are, uh, it, they're, they're fun to read. Uh, and maybe, you know, if you study and read them and you get insight and understanding, but sometimes it, it's hard to put it together. You've got to kind of see what's going on and I'll, I'll take a shot at it, and it all makes sense, it all fits together, but it's not as simple as, as sometimes I would like to have it be. All right, I'll pray, and uh, you're free to go. Thank you for being here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We do ask that we would put our trust in you, that we'd understand your goodness and your greatness, and we do look forward to your appearing. And I said, until that time, we would live as prisoners of hope, trusting in you and and doing the things you've called us to uh not dependent on the circumstances or or what is taking place in this earth but dependent upon who you are and what you're doing in our lives we do thank you for this in jesus name amen